It's live now. Uh, actually, Mustama. All right. Let's see if this is any better. Let's see if this is any better. Can you hear me, Susan? Let's see. Let's see. I'll play some. Play some. Uh, can you guys hear me? I'll play some background music to get the party started while we're waiting to see if this works any better. Please tell me it does. Otherwise, I may succumb to feelings of despair. If it doesn't feel, if it's not working any better, that would be just really sad. I'll play you a fun song. So I'm expecting thumbs up if you're able to hear this and you're able to see me. I'll move so that you can continue to. Let's see, you eight people. Are you able to hear anything or see anything? There's a thumbs up. The intro to the song is long enough that we're not going to get to it. All right, there's a lot of thumbs up. That means it's working. This is a song praising Sayyidah Zainab, the granddaughter of the Prophet in case you're wondering what that is. You're also going to get exposed to my son in about three seconds. So if you can give me a heads up, let me know if you can hear on this one. I'm hoping that it's a little bit better. It actually looks better too. I think this is a better spot in the house. Um, Ismail, are you over there? Do something for me in the garage uh, under the tissue box on the table there's some notes there's, can you grab those it's like a set of printouts and on top of the book they'll see like Arabic and English on it see if you can find it Habib thank you so I guess it's better. Nobody's complained yet, so we'll just roll with it. But I really like this song. The protector of the lands of Musa. Yeah. All right. So I was just saying that here on the wall, by the way, we have give you a tour. These are in-house made family crests. 
from my wife's side of the family. I have descriptions of both sides of the family, designed by a family member. That is the one. Thank you, buddy. Good job. All right. Okay, okay. This is a live stream. Whatever you say, people are going to hear it. Do you want to say anything to anyone? No? Okay. Then let's try to be quiet, okay? While I do this, thank you. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, I was just saying that, you know, we're going to be inside for a while. Most likely it seems like we're going to be inside for a while. And we're going to be somewhat disconnected from people for a while. And that gives us some sort of opportunity to uh, to look within. I think that for many of us, uh, of course, for a lot of people, there's going to be very serious financial difficulties, economic difficulties, perhaps health challenges. May Allah protect us and our loved ones. Um, but there will also be opportunities for reflection, opportunities for growth, opportunities to really think about what to really focus internally. And again, a part of that is that we're basically on an imposed khalwa. We're on a we're on an imposed khalwa which is, you know, we're forced to be by ourselves. We're forced to not really have much to take up our time other than worship and, um, you know, maybe checking in on people, doing some things here and there, but spending time with our family and worshiping. So that obviously has some sort of limitation to it. And, um, but again, it's also an opportunity. So may Allah help us in these times to be sources of good for other people um, and to be sources of uh, mercy and healing for other people, inshallah, I mean. Uh, it's really good to see some of the some of the names on here, mashallah. Good to see you, good to see you all. Um, uh, I hope that you all are well. See a lot of the regulars, a lot of the um, people from different places that we know. May Allah keep you all safe. Um, I think that uh, I already said it on Facebook, and I'm assuming probably many of you have already seen it because this is the same platform, but I would encourage people really to take the advices that we're getting from our governmental and medical authorities very seriously. Um, it's not time to play games with these things. So please take them seriously and know that any decisions that your religious leadership are taking, they're also taking them seriously. You know, like this, this idea of canceling Jumaz was not something that came about without Shura, without deliberation. You know, just here locally with Shura Council, there is a council of imams that many of the imams are on. And the discussion took place over the course of several days and was informed, of course, by the um, by authorities in the field of medicine, epidemiology, infectious disease, and so on. So these decisions are not taken lightly. And inshallah, we can uh, perhaps take some guidance from the verse about in the story of Bani Israel, where uh, uh, you know, Musa tells the people to make their buyut uh, qibla, to make their homes qibla. So yeah, we're at home, but we can still make a qibla out of our homes. We can still make them places of worship, places of of of, uh, of turning to Allah in these difficult times. Okay, so Bismillah. 
enough of that. Uh, let's continue with the class because who wants to talk about coronavirus all the time? If we're going to be stuck inside for the next couple of weeks, we can't make every single conversation about the coronavirus, right? So let's get back on topic. Inshallah, last time when we met and we we're talking about uh, marriage as a social ideal and cosmic sign. Hey, smile. Can you not do that, please? Huh? Thank you. Um, marriage as a social ideal and a cosmic sign. So uh, what we had said basically was before we get into marriage and before we get into the script of the lecture by Dr. Omar, Farooq Abdullah, Allah, Allah protect him and give him a long life of service and uh, may he Allah allow us to benefit from him. Ameen. The what we had said is that um, before we can even talk about what his lecture was, we have to talk about kind of like how one gets to the point where they're able to get married. And so we talked about last time the four P's of gender interactions, you know, to make them purposeful, to make them professional, to make them public, and to respect um, personal space in those interactions. And then we began to discuss the stages of a process of getting married. And we were kind of in between, we were in consideration. We had said that the main three parts are consideration, and then engagement, and then marriage itself, nikah, or ketbin kitab, or whatever you want to call it, qiran. There's many different names that are used for the same thing. So we had said in this consideration phase that basically people are, it has, it's very, very important that everyone agrees and understands that this is a phase when people are to get to know one another and they have a level of commitment that is to acknowledge that what they're doing is serious, but that they're not saying that they're ready to get married to each other. They're saying that they want to get to know each other and that if that goes well, then inshallah they can get married later down the road. And, um, but we had said late in that consideration phase, or later, not necessarily late, but later, once there's some familiarity, there's some understanding, but there's not a full commitment yet, before the engagement happens is a good time to do premarital counseling. And that premarital counseling is something that's very important and should be done, absolutely. Um, even, if, even if you go to a premarital counseling, you go to a therapist and you do premarital counseling, and you have a really good session, and they're like, mashallah, everything looks great, you guys, you know, it's good. Even that is worthwhile, uh, to have that stamp of approval, and, you know, gives you that confidence. But also, importantly, it kind of opens the door for the experience of seeking counsel, which is really important. So that later on down the road, maybe if there's any bumps in the marriage or whatever it might be, then the couple will feel more comfortable to engage with some sort of counseling or counseling, right? So we had said that as well. So let's say that, you know, they go through the consideration phase. Somewhere in the consideration phase, the families are brought into it, whether it's from the beginning, which is, as I had said before, is my preference. But I recognize that not every case is ideal such that that becomes a possibility. So it may happen later. But at some point, the families are made aware of what's going on. And the four P's are being followed. Decorum is being respected. It's not being shared with like everyone on the face of the earth that you're considering this person. Because, you know, you might be happy and you might be excited and it still might not work. And that's cool for like maybe one time. It doesn't work. 
and then you're like, um, you know, people, everyone knows about it. All your friends knew about it. All their friends knew about it. It's kind of like the coronavirus, right? Like if you let it out to one person, it's going to spread to another person. If it spreads to another person, it's going to spread to another four people. And it's going to go to eight people. And it's going to go to, next thing you know, 50 people know that you were considering this person for marriage and, and it didn't work out, which is fine if it's not really fine, but it's tolerable if it's one person. But the reality is that over time, you may try to consider any number of people and they might not work out. It might not work out one person, two people, three people, four people. And then it starts looking like, okay, what's wrong with this person? Or uh, especially for women, sometimes culturally, um, the sensitivities around this sometimes are, are greater. And so that might not look good for the sister either, if it's a brother, whatever it might be. The point is, try to keep these things as under the lid as possible. And if you're going to talk to people, try to talk to people who are trustworthy, uh, not really your friends. Like you don't really need to get in the habit of talking to your friends about all your relationship stuff because that's not going to be beneficial either once you actually get into the relationship, right? Um, next thing, because then you're going to get married and then when you're married and you have like one little argument with your spouse and you're going to go and tell your friends and then it just gets really whack of course if you have trustworthy good reliable people where you're going to speak to and get counsel from that's that's a different issue so everything goes well you get engaged you get engaged and that um is uh you know basically it's just an agreement that the two people intend to marry one another at a future date and that kind of locks it in usually it becomes more public at that point People kind of know that, you know, this person's engaged to that person and whatever. And they're going to uh, set their time down the road. Again, one of the things that I had mentioned, one of the difficulties of this part is that now you're engaged, you intend to marry one another. And you, um, obviously you have some level of emotions and they're probably going to increase in that time between the engagement and the actual marriage itself. But you were not married. So what I always tell people is that you kind of treat this period like those Bunsen burners in high school science lab where uh, they have like a little flame on them and you want to turn up the gas enough so that the flame is there, but you don't want it so low that the flame goes out and you don't want it so high that the flame gets out of control. Right? This is very much a part of the engagement period. So you're getting to know each other, feelings are increasing. Of course, you're not always talking about them. You can, it's very strange. You know, people feel like, how can I, how is it possible to get to know someone when you can't tell them how much you love them, when you can't tell them how beautiful you think they are every single day when you talk to them and so on and so forth? Uh, or when there's some level of haya around that stuff. And the truth is that you can. You really can get to know someone with these boundaries in place. And oftentimes the boundaries actually make it so that you can get to know the person better. Again, if the boundaries don't go too far, if the boundaries are where they're supposed to be, we can talk, we can get to know each other, we can so on and so forth, then that actually makes it so oftentimes you can get to know the person better than you would have if the boundaries weren't there. Because if they, if they weren't there, then you have all this useless talk, you have all these emotions that are getting you know, back and forth and everything else. And so it actually takes away from the meat of the interaction. And believe me, you can, uh, get to know someone and you can develop feelings for them and you can know that those feelings are mutual without either of you saying anything about it and that is totally fine you know there's no uh, 
uh, that's 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 really good actually. And so, because again, you want to still recognize that even though we're engaged and even though we're planning to get married, we don't know what's going to happen. And I'm not married until I'm married. So I have to regulate my heart in some sort of really serious way uh, in recognition of that, that I'm not married until I'm married. I did not marry this person. I'm not married to this person until I'm married to this person. So I need to be careful to my heart um, and, ha and how much I let that, you know, go. Um, is that under understandable? Are there any questions? If there's any questions, you can write them. Um, and inshallah, or you can give some sort of indication that you can even hear me for those of you who are on here. Um, I don't know how much of a lag there is. Type. I'm just going to assume that you can hear me. So everything goes well. You decide that you're going to get married. And uh, now comes the time for the marriage itself, the wedding itself. Okay, so there is probably like a solid 10, 15 seconds lag. That's how I see all these things. Sad faces, everything else. Three comments. We can hear you. Alhamdulillah. All right, good. Um, so now you get to the point of the marriage itself. You get to the, the time of like this marriage is actually going to happen. These, these little thumbs up things, they're actually useful. You know, now because I'm sitting here and I can actually see the screen, usually when we're in the majlis, I can't see the screen. So people sometimes send stuff. I don't know what they're sending. <laughs> and I can't see their interactions and stuff but now that I'm sitting in front of the screen I can see the interactions and I can see the people that are there and it's kind of cool like mashallah I feel I feel that uh, we're together even though we're not together and um, disinfecting this house I can hear you listening as I disinfect this house that's a that's a golden comment uh, you know we need to do another round of that ourselves but okay so the, everything's going well. You're going to do the marriage. Great. Alhamdulillah. You set the date. You invite the people. Relatives are flying in. You're hoping the coronavirus doesn't hit because then all of your flight plans are going to get messed up. And uh, all of your invitations are going to get canceled. And who knows if the imam is going to show up and all kinds of you know madness. But uh, everything's going well. You know, Everything's going well and you're going to set the date. So what do you need in an actual marriage? What do you need in an actual marriage? You need a man and a woman who are, according to the teachings of Islam, allowed to marry one another. We'll come back to them. You need a wali, a guardian for the woman, in most cases, according to most opinions. And you need witnesses. And you need a wedding gift from the husband to the wife or from the groom to the bride okay so these are the major things that you need let's go through them one by one if you noticed and please don't abuse this if you noticed not mentioned here is the imam okay 
So the, the proper way to really get married is to have an imam that's involved. The community knows. The imam helps to overlook the con oversee the contract, make sure everything is in the right place, so on and so forth. They help the people to say the words that need to get said. And then, um, and then it's registered with the necessary governmental authorities. And that is important because, you know, sometimes things don't go the way that you want them to go or that you hope that they're going to go. And there needs to be some sort of recourse for dealing with that. I know there's been some conversation right, lately around this idea of like, do you need to register it with the with the gov with the local authorities, or can you make some sort of other agreement? You know, the point is that you have some sort of way to enforce the consequences and disputes and and mitigate or arbitrate the disputes that may come up in the course of the relationship. So in Islam, in Muslim majority countries, that usually takes the place or takes the role of being registered with the state and there's a ma'dun or someone who's been authorized by the state to oversee the contract and then it's registered with the state and there's the judicial system in our context that usually takes place through the county uh, registering the marriage with the county um, so Let's go through them. The bride and the groom, the husband and the wife. So as is probably well known in Islamic law, a Muslim man is allowed to marry a Muslim woman. And there are exceptions for a Muslim man to marry a woman who is Jewish or Christian with certain conditions. Sometimes met, sometimes not met some difference of opinion on them and so on but with certain conditions and a muslim woman is only permitted to marry a muslim man some people say well where does this come from and so on and so forth it's actually very clearly in the quran uh, in that the first verse that deals with the relationship of marriage is in surah al-baqarah uh, that talks about how the believing men and women basically should only marry believing men and women. That's the first verse. And then later in the message of the Prophet ﷺ, there's another verse in Surah Al-Ma'idah that's revealed that accepts, makes an exception for Muslim men to marry Christian and Jewish women. Uh, so the principle then is that you have a general rule, which is nobody... I'm trying to get it on the screen. General rule. No, didn't work. General rule. That the um, uh, that nobody marries outside of Muslims. Then there's an exception to it. So then what that means is that the exception is the exception. And what's not the exception stays on the original rule. Uh, so that would mean that for Muslim women they cannot marry other than Muslim men. Now that being that technicality out of the way, in a sense, um, uh, that doesn't mean that we should probably do that, you know. And I know a number of imams who are quite uncomfortable with marrying Muslim men to Jewish or Christian women in the West. 
And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it is challenging to uh, raise children who follow the teachings of Islam when both parents are Muslim. And it's even more difficult to do that when they're not. And, um, you know, like a, when you're in a culture that, or if you say, for example, you're in a civilization that is dominated by Islam, then, you know, if, this, if the wife is not a Muslim, still the, ch the children are being raised in a culture that is dominated by Islam. And that's not the case here. Not to mention issues relating to like, okay, so if all the Muslim men go and start marrying non-Muslim women, Jewish and Christian, then who are the Muslim women going to marry and all of these types of issues. And by the way, there is precedent for a limitation on this. So Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab during his rule, he actually at some point um, prohibited the, the other Sahaba from marrying women who are not uh, uh, who are who are not uh, Muslims, so he actually stopped them from doing that. Okay, but let's just say here you have a man and a woman, both of them Muslim, to make it easy, and that's alhamdulillah. Stage one is complete. Stage two is that the woman has a wali; she has a guardian. Uh, we talked about last week. Subhanallah, I cannot believe that that was last week. It feels like so long ago now. Um, the majority of cases that's like a, a woman's father if the father's not around maybe a son brother, different situations um, we talked about last time this idea of you know if the wali is going to not agree with the marriage then they have to have some sort of reason for it that is acceptable and we also mentioned that in the Hanafi school Imam Abu Hanifa doesn't technically require uh, the wali for the marriage to occur. So the woman can marry on her own. Uh, she you know, pronounces the words of marriage and can marry. Uh, between these two people, you have a contract. Basically, you have a contract that said the schools of law, they differ significantly on what needs to be said then. Uh, should it be in the past tense? Should it be in the command form? If it's in the present tense, how do you do it? Should you repeat it more than once? All these type of different things. Uh, basically, if you have two people and everyone's there to witness them getting married and they exchange words by which we understand that they have agreed to marry one another, then they have agreed to marry one another. And, you know, we understand that as the people who are witnessing it. Uh, so that's that. It can be in English, it can be in Arabic, it can be in whatever it needs to be in in order for it to be understood. Um... Then you have the witnesses. So many of the schools will say it's a minimum of two witnesses that, that see this contract taking place. Um, some of them will mention that the, the objective behind that is al-ishhar, is for the marriage to become known. And um, uh, for the marriage to become known, but uh, so that's you know a little bit different, which is important because sometimes people will um, do funny things 
like for example we're just gonna get married and like i'm gonna tell one of my friends and you tell one of your friends and that's not really acceptable um so two people know but do people really know and how is that really a marriage i mean what are we what are you really trying to get at i think a lot of the nonsense that happens around marriage is like if you just step back take two steps back and look at it and be like come on man what are you what are you really saying uh what are you really doing what do you what is that and um you know anyways and then there's the gift the gift that goes from the the husband to the wife should be something of monetary value agreed upon between them it is solely the right of the woman and her possession and it can be given all up front it can be given partially up front and some of it delayed to a later time uh, oftentimes dictated by culture maybe that might be divorce maybe it might be death maybe it might be a particular time that is laid out for that um, but it's delayed to a later time so those are the basic foundations so that if all of those things are met and it's registered with the the authorities that it needs to be registered with then that would be a marriage and uh, that would be like a full nikah you have two other phenomena that are kind of uh, that happen um, may Allah protect us from them one of them is what is oftentimes called a zawaj and urfi and the other one is called a zawaj sirri one of them is called like a customary marriage and the other one is a secret marriage and oftentimes people kind of conflate between these two and so they end up legitimizing something that really shouldn't be legitimized um, zawaj urfi is not zawaj sirri a customary marriage is not a secret marriage a customary marriage is essentially a marriage that fulfills everything that we mentioned there's no hiddenness to it. It's known. It's witnessed. Everything is all the pieces are there. It's just not registered with the state. Okay, so it's orfi. It's it's customary in the sense that it's taken place between the people. It's not registered in any sort of official way. That's technically acceptable, although especially in our circumstances, can often lead to uh, and even in um, in general, like a lot of the rights of the woman are guaranteed through the court system. So if you do something that doesn't involve the court system, then that would, you know, have some sort of consequence for the woman. Um, you know, so that's that's one side of it. Then there's a zawajasidity, which is like basically these two people, they get married and they don't tell anyone. Or they tell two people, and they those two people agree that they're not going to tell anyone else. So now it's a secret marriage, and that's actually not acceptable. Um, so I hope that that's clear, inshallah. You see some strange things that people in the community justify around these issues. And I think one of the things that's really important in general is that we be careful that we don't, change the truth in order to fit our desires so you know someone wants to engage in some sort of physical relationship with someone else then they should just admit that they have that issue rather than trying to justify it with some sort of uh, weird 
concoction of a marriage according to the Sharia, which is not even really according to the Sharia. So, you know, we just have to kind of be honest with ourselves sometimes. So that is that. That takes us down the route to marriage. That gets you in the door. You're in the door, and now you're really in it. So, um, you know, may Allah give us happy and beautiful marriages, and may He help us to maintain them over extended periods of time. Inshallah, Ameen. Uh, okay. Bismillah. Any questions about all of this before we get to the paper? I'll give you a little bit of time with the lag um, if there's any questions. In fact, I will try to find while you catch up. Interesting question. Here's the link to the document that we're going to be reading. So there's a question about the ayah in Surah Al-Baqarah about marrying a believer, uh, so on and so forth. Actually, the verse... There's two points to, to this answer. I thought they were referred to as believers if they don't associate partners with law or behave as disbelievers, in which case would there, wouldn't there be explicit there? Who is even classified as a believer? They're still Christians in Palestine. Don't believe in the Trinity. They're not considered believers. Um, so there's two issues here. First is uh, the verse in... Surah Al-Baqarah refers to not marrying and mushrikeen wal mushrikat, the polytheist, male and female. Um, but that is understood to refer to basically non-Muslims. Um, technically, in the in the realm of the Sharia rulings that dictate our external world. Uh, Christians and Jews are not considered believers in the sense that the Muslims are. They are recognized as having a relationship with belief and with an understanding of one God that is not uh, complete in the way that we would understand it. So there, if we had to say like between believers and unbelievers, like the Muslims are the believers and everyone else are the unbelievers and like a Sharia, the outward rulings of, of, of life perspective. But the Jews and the Christians do have a special place in that they are considered Ahmed Kitab, the people of the book, and the people of the book are not the same as idol worshippers and stuff like that in terms of the way that we look at them um, and the respect that we give them and so on and so forth. But they, they don't fall into that. Um, it's an excellent question. MashaAllah.
Now, some of those people who believe in that way, like that are mentioned in the comments, they may be considered believers with Allah. Johnny. Uh, they may be considered believers with Allah in the hereafter. They may be in reality actually believers and they're working with what they've got and they're trying their best and so on and so forth. But in terms of outward rulings, uh, this is the category, like the Muslims are one category and then Ahmed Kitab is another category and so on. But this this prohibition in the beginning would refer to marrying anyone other than Muslims. Uh, Tayyib, uh, not really seeing any other questions. I understand that this issue sometimes is, is um, a difficult one to swallow. Just to note that I, I do understand that this distinction is sometimes a difficult one to swallow. And, um, you know, uh, I'm not a woman, so I can't say that I truly understand, but I can, I can say that um, I, I can sympathize with the question or the maybe like the internal why uh, on this distinction um, <clears throat> I'll just leave it at that all right if there's no other questions then we'll keep this moving um, I kind of want to pray mother, but I know we still have some time. Yeah, we still have some time, so. Let's keep it going for a little bit, inshallah. Yes. Yeah, that's an important point too. Not all Christians, I, I think a lot of Muslims are under the impression that all Christians are Trinitarian. And not all Christians are Trinitarian. You know, some Christians are Unitarian. <clears throat> uh, but like who is a believer, a believer in, in this definition is the one who accepts God as one and accepts the Prophet them as the last of the Prophets. It's at the most basic level, believes in the Day of Judgment, accepts the Qur'an as true, etc. Um, so, Bismillah. Here we go. Let's check this paper out. The link is there. It's really cool. I think probably the cool, other than the content, the coolest thing about this lecture is that the notes are there. And these are 
Dr. Omar's handwritten notes in Arabic, which is pretty cool. So, let's start. Qala al-Muhadir, hafidhahullahu ta'ala wa nafadhahu wa yahu bi'udunihi fi al-darin, ameen. Bismillah. Starts off Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. In the name of God, the compassionate, the merciful, God extol our noble Lord and Master Muhammad, his family and his companions, and grant them perfect peace. That is how Dr. Omar will often translate. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Extol him and grant them perfect peace. Uh, I'm not going to do a commentary on the Basmala. If any of my sixth, seventh, or eighth graders are listening, maybe they can tell you it. Uh, this is from the twelfth conference of the Qadri Association in the Gambia: Marriage, Social Idea, and Cosmic Sign. Ideal and Cosmic Sign. <clears throat> God says in the Quran, "And of everything, we have created two pairs, so that perhaps you may call to remembrance." God states in another verse, Glory be unto him who created the pairs, all of them, from what the earth grows, from human beings themselves, and from that of which they have no knowledge. And Imam al-Hassan al-Basri said, Everything in creation is a pair. Only God is one and utterly unique, having no likeness. Because God alone is absolutely one. He has infinite power and utterly no need. Because he is one, he is self-sufficient and all-sufficient, having the power to bring creation into existence and meet all its needs. Nothing enters God's creation except as a pair, a double, a complement, a likeness, an opposite, or a contrary of something else. Each pair complements its pair, and together they bring each other to completion. For this reason, there is nothing in creation that is absolutely one, like God, nor can anything in creation be self-sufficient or all-sufficient, capable by itself of meeting its own needs or the needs of others. So, this to me is a really remarkable opening. You know, it's a very remarkable opening. He's, he's, um, how do I say, Dr. Omar is a theologian, 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 hope you say that word properly. Um, and someone who takes the path of, basically he's someone who takes the path of knowing God intellectually and practically very seriously. And so I think it's interesting that the conversation around marriage begins with the conversation about who is Allah. And it begins with the recognition that the only thing that is absolutely one, the only thing that is in absolutely all-sufficient and self-sufficient, in need of and having no partners, in need of and having no similarities or resemblances or um, gaps that need to be filled or anything like that, is Allah. The o that's the only thing. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, glorified and exalted is he. And that is in contrast to his creation. 
because one of the ways that he has described subhana is that he is in contrast to his creation uh, they are not similar to him there is nothing that is similar to him subhanahu wa ta'ala and so to understand the oneness of god is to understand the plurality of creation and the first manifestation of that plurality of creation is in the pair is in the duo is in the dual is in the complement of one to another and from there you go further there are trios there are sets of four sets of five so on and so forth but the primary manifestation of the oneness of god which is absolute the primary manifestation of that in the creation is the pair and that's that I, I don't know that's just really remarkable really beautiful uh, and that's that's the starting point for this contemplation you know it is reported and then from there you get to this issue which is the one that everyone is familiar with it is reported that the prophet sallallahu said whoever marries fulfills one half of his religion another hadith relates even more emphatically Whoever marries fulfills two-thirds of his religion. These well-known hadith emphasize the importance of marriage in the deen, and consequently in the dunya also, since the religion of Islam always establishes and guards the ultimate needs and benefits of human beings in this world as well as the hereafter. Very, very important concept. Right? I have to stop there. So when we initiate the idea, or when we accept the idea, that it is God who is one and without any need, then that leaves us with creation and the obvious pairing of human creation in male and female. And that that is part of the cosmic order, in a sense. And so when the Prophet ﷺ says, whoever marries fulfills one half of his religion, the understanding there is that there is a complementary relationship. That in the, in, in the pair, the person can attain wholeness. Um, now that is not to say that someone who uh, doesn't get married or cannot get married or shouldn't get married for any number of reasons can never become whole, but that is to recognize that uh, there's a complement, there's, there's the, the ideal of a relationship of marriage is that the male and the female are complementing one another. Uh, and this emphasizes, of course, that this is a benefit in this life as well as the next life because Islam always establishes and guards the ultimate needs and benefits of human beings in this world as well as the hereafter. Uh, and I think that that's something that we should see very clearly from what is going on in this whole novel coronavirus situation. Right. So you have lessons as to now, how the Prophet ﷺ taught us how to live, how he taught us things like buying products in order to hoard them and make the prices higher, um, price gouging basically is hot on. Yeah. How uh, we should have some like there's a hadith I was reading today. The Prophet ﷺ said, "Can the Nabi ﷺ yuti nasa'ahu?" that he would give his women sustenance for a year something they would have you know, 
it's not going to be probably what we would sometimes consider to be sustenance for a year, but you know, rice, dates, grains, things that you can you can live off them, especially if you're accustomed to living off less. And so, but the point is, the teachings of Islam they they give us these things that benefit us in this life and the next. Um, if you have any questions, again, just to send them because we want to wrap up in the next few minutes, and I'll continue. Uh, as long as there's no questions or I'll break if there's questions. The all-important sunnah of human beings, uh, the all-important sunnah of marriage is based on the reality of pairs and pairings that run throughout God's creation. The fact that we are created in pairs, male and female, like everything else God has created, reflects the profound need of the male for its female counterpart and, likewise, the need of the female for her masculine pair. This need is not just for the biological necessity of having children. Rather, each spouse needs the other spouse simply to be a complete human being, which cannot be fulfilled in the absence of marriage. It is only in the sunnah of marriage that each of the two pairs, male and female, in their mutual belief in God, can meet the needs of each other, become sound and upright, and attain to human perfection inwardly and outwardly. So it's... Uh, in the complementing nature of that relationship. This is not just about male and female, but about the idea of masculine and feminine. So yeah, the understanding that the male is comprised of both masculine and feminine, and uh, ideally leans more on the masculine side. But there have to be certain feminine qualities to the man if they are if the man is to be complete and the woman is comprised of masculine and feminine and uh, leaning more on the feminine side and in order for her to be complete she has to have both of these um, and the masculine principle is active and the feminine principle is receptive and so on um, and, and again, both are meant to be present in each person in different ways. And so when those two pieces come together, there is a, uh, almost like the yin and the yang. You know, there's uh, one side is largely one thing, but has a little bit of the other. And one side is largely one thing, but has a little bit of the other. And the completion is in their union. So the completion of the human experience is in the union of the male and the female. <clears throat> which is not only, again, a biological necessity, but a necessity of becoming whole and becoming who they are. For this reason, marriage is not only one of the most important foundations of our religion, but also ranks among the essential elements of civilization. Without marriage, we cannot have strong families. Without marriage, we cannot cultivate individual sanity and personal well-being. And in the end, the entire framework of a successful society is based on the indispensable sunnah of marriage, Consequently, God has magnified marriage and made it one of the cosmic signs of his glory in the heavens and the earth, which is going to be in the verse, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ أَنْ خَلَقَ لَكُمْ مِنْ أَنفُسِكُمْ أَزْوَاجًا لِتَسْكُنُوا إِلَيْهَا وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مَوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً إِنَّ فِي ذَلِكَ لَآيَاتٍ لِقَوْمِينَ تَفَكَّرُونَ And among his signs is that he created spouses for you from among yourselves that perhaps you might find rest in them. And he established affection and mercy between you, truly in that there are signs for people who reflect. Um, so we'll come back to this, inshallah, next time.
next week. Uh, my Tuesday class will be on, I mean, my Monday class will be on tomorrow. Probably do it, I guess, the same way. Um, Seven o'clock tomorrow. And uh, we'll take it from there, inshallah. If there's one thing that I could encourage people to do is, you know, it's hard to maintain community when we're not with one another. Uh, and one of the important ways that we can kind of uh, cultivate that in the absence of one another is to pray for one another and to um, and dwell for one another. So one of the nice things about these videos is that it tells you who's joined. And if before we can close, you know, just look at all of those names. Hold those people in your heart. Say a little dua for all of them. Inshallah. And um, you know, that's, we, can, we can conclude with dua, inshallah. We ask you, Ya Allah, by your names and by your attributes and by your righteous servants and by the prophets who have come before us, we ask you, Ya Allah, to give us good in this life and the next, to protect us from all types of hardship and difficulty. Now we ask you for knowledge that benefits us and we ask you for a deep and profound knowledge of the religion that settles not only in our minds but in our hearts and manifests itself on our limbs. We ask you, Allah, to make our families and our homes places of peace and tranquility and mercy and happiness and joy and love. We ask you, Allah, to be with those who are on the front lines, especially from the medical workers and the governmental officials and others who will have to make really, really difficult decisions and will be put in positions of um, of some level of trial. We ask you, Allah, to be with them and to guide them and to protect them and to protect their families. We ask you, we ask you to consider those who are on the front lines to be from the Mujahideen. We ask you, Allah, to help us to be in the service of others in this difficult time. And we ask you to protect our families, to protect ourselves, to be gentle with our elders, and to be merciful with our young. We ask you, Allah, to make this an opportunity for us to reflect. We ask you, Allah, to make this an opportunity for us to reflect and to turn back to you and to turn within and to think about ourselves and to question ourselves and to improve ourselves. And we ask you, Allah, that whatever happens in these coming weeks and coming months, we ask you to give us the ability to have a level of contentment with the decree and to submit to you in all of our affairs. And we ask that you um, make things pass easily and that whenever we are ready, whenever it is our time to meet you, that we are ready to do so and that we are able to understand the reality of this life and the next in a way that is much more real and is um, beneficial to us when we meet you, inshallah. Uh, I know it's virtual, but it's still really good to see you all and um, to be with you all, inshallah. Amen. Barakallahu fikum, wassalamu alaikum, wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
please continue to pray for us and to pray for all of us. And uh, may we be united in khair, inshallah. Amen.